The following program has been furnished and paid for by Total Wealth Academy, and KSEV is not responsible for its content or the products or services offered. Welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show, where wealth includes much more than just money. It includes family, fitness, romance, and all the other parts of a balanced life. Listen and learn how 70% of the millionaires in America made their money using real estate. Now your host, real estate investor and consultant, Steve Davis. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Trevor Davis, lead wealth coach up here at Total Wealth Academy. As always, we're starting off with Einstein's quote, which is the ability, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And we're talking about change in the intentional direction, the positive direction, whatever that really means to you. And I want us to kind of step away from that conception in a general sense of positive change, because I'm not talking about what everybody else thinks is positive change for you individually but what you specifically consider to be the positive change that you really, really want. And your intelligence is not determined by your ability to pass classes, get A's, go back to college, know every single historical fact out there. It's by your ability to make a change at any time, no matter how young you are, how middle-aged you are, or how old you are. I want to start off with today talking about the difference between winning and losing. Because winning and losing are heavily steeped in ego. And one of my favorite ways to look at the ego is to consider it as your personality attached to your perfect world. Your personality attached to your own perfect world. Whatever that might have, whatever that may involve, you've got some conception of a perfect world that is not necessarily what you have now. It could be having a 10,000 square foot house. It could be having a billion dollars in your bank account. It could be being in a relationship with whoever you consider to be the most attractive person. It could be becoming the president of the United States. It could be becoming a musical sensation, a hip-hop rap sensation, a country music star, something like that. Your ego is attached to that, and every single thing that deviates from that perfect world damages your ego and causes you to behave irrationally. And in many situations, it causes us to act so irrationally that we're not even able to take action steps, even the smallest action steps, towards something even close to that perfect world. A lot of us are kind of looking at it and saying, well, life isn't perfect, so what's the point? What's the point? of even putting in any significant effort to make a change when, well, for all we know, it's not going to work out. The results aren't going to be what we want. So why even bother? That, to me, is why I think the ego is so dangerous and why it is such an important concept. And it's such an important concept to keep in mind 
because as I continue to think about it in my own way, not just looking at what everybody else says ego is and not just looking at what everybody else talks about with ego, but creating my own understanding, my own interpretation, which is what everybody's doing anyhow. But I really, really make sure to avoid wanting things to be perfect. Because, quite frankly, they're not, at least according to the conception that we have in our heads. Before we move forward, let me ask you this. What if everything was already perfect? Kind of a hard thought to wrap your head around. But when we are deciding to take actions based on our disappointment, we start to make bad decisions. Our ego is in control of our actions, and it's making us focus on things that are probably not the best thing to do. They may start to get us into an emotional state that if we had a reasonable state, we could otherwise do something meaningful but we end up being so frustrated, so confused, so emotionally charged that we take action on something and we end up messing it up because we didn't have the right attitude. I really think that having this attitude of ego attachment to anything is all but guaranteed to screw up whatever it is you're trying to do. Because if you're trying to make something perfect, or you're trying to create your own perfect world, you're going to get disappointed over and over again. And your ego is going to get bruised over and over and over again, and it becomes a vicious cycle that makes your ego more and more out of control. And specifically, in control of you rather than the other way around. So the winning and losing. Very ego-steep terms. When you look at something simple like a sports game, there's a winner and there's a loser, right? We've created sports with a very specific set of rules. Could be American football, could be soccer, could be baseball, hockey, golf, whatever. We've got a point system. And by the end of the game, unless there's a tie, which is very uncommon, there's a winner and there's a loser. Pretty clean cut. We're just trying to see in the sports world which team is the best. Not just the most athletic, not even necessarily just the most athletic, but the best team workers, the best teammates, the best coaching, the best practicing, the best fundamentals. Everything coming out to create the ultimate ball game on the field with a clear winner and a clear loser. But I don't believe that things are as clear-cut in the real world. Nor do I think they even have to be. Because to me, it's pretty clear that when it comes to finances, there's a lot more abundance out there than most people seem to acknowledge. It doesn't seem to me that we have to keep on going with this hierarchy we're at where we've got a multimillionaire, billionaire class, 
we have a middle class, which unfortunately continues to shrink, and then we have a lower class. And I think it's clear at this point, I'm not afraid of saying upper, middle, and lower class. Because like it or not, face it or not, that's the way society is truly organized. Buy money, buy income, buy wealth, buy assets. We can definitely see that the people with the most advantage out of any other advantage are the people that have the most money. So we have to make sure that we're preparing ourselves to get into a better financial position as the years go by in our lives. We'll be right back to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Y'all stay tuned to the Wednesday show. Thank you. money in an IRA, 401k, or other retirement account, you can use it to invest passively in real estate without tax or penalty. Our average rate of return is three times that of the stock market and mutual funds with much less volatility. If you have over $70,000, you can start passive investing today. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We were just talking about the some of the discussions about the ego and winning and losing. And I, I want to reemphasize my ego conception, which is the personality attached to the perfect world. And I think it's very helpful for anybody to find out their own ego. And one of the ways you do that is finding out exactly what you identify your ego as. And to me, that's the clearest way that I feel it is because I've just found out through a lot of self-reflection that the things that make me upset are the things that counteract what I think the way things should be in the quote-unquote perfect world. So if some of the ego terms out there don't really resonate with you, I would try and think about it in your own way and figure out what it is that is getting you emotionally charged because that's probably what's your what your ego is attached to. You know, are you upset about somebody making fun of your car or your house or you know, material focused or someone making fun of your relationship maybe? Something to that effect, but really break it down specifically and try and find what it is at the end of the day that you're feeling that your ego is most attached to. Because the more you identify how your ego works, the more you're going to be able to keep it in a position where it's not going to throw roadblocks in your path. I don't think it's ever really something you can fully control. I mean, I think there's a lot of things about our bodies we can't fully control already, like our cardiovascular system, our digestive system. That's unconsciously controlled. And I would say that, to a certain extent, ego is the same way. Just make sure that you are the one directing your ego. And above all, make sure your ego is attached to the right things. We talk about this during the free sample class, because when your ego is attached to the wrong things, even if you have the best conception of how your ego works, it's still going to push you in the wrong direction. You want to make sure your ego is attached to things that actually matter, like having the positive relationships, 
and including having a good financial position, going from the lower class to the middle class or going from the middle class to the upper class and hopefully bringing some people along with you as you continue to help and serve others. Now, today's topic that I really want to get into is the house buying situation in the United States of America. And this is probably going to be a bit of a sticky topic because there's a lot of politicizing about this conversation. There's a lot of different opinions out there that either don't want to look at this information at all or they want to look at this information and use it to make extremely radical and, to me, unnecessary changes to government policy in a very radical direction, I might add, which I I don't agree with. I think that there are some changes to be made for sure, but this is something that we should approach from all sides, both sides of the aisle and everywhere in between, to really work to make sure that the middle class is not continuing to get overstrained and suffocated, and the middle class is not continuing to shrink and does not go away, and then we end up with a new feudalist system where you have only upper class and you only have lower class, and there's virtually no way for you to transition to the upper class at all. That's what I consider neo-feudalism because that's the same stuff that they did in the Middle Ages and the feudalistic system. We need to avoid that at all costs. So this is what we're looking at. This was a post from Reddit on a subreddit called Damn, That's Interesting. And you've heard me talk about Reddit a couple times, but Reddit's a very fun site because there's all sorts of content. It's anything you want, anything you can imagine. There's going to be a subreddit that discusses it with pictures, stories, content, everything. And the front page of Reddit is also news, so it's typically where I get my major news as well. But this post was talking about what, what houses were doing in the 50s, specifically through a picture of a house advertisement that was in Wilkington, New Jersey in 1958. And this advertisement was for a new build house. And it says, come out to lovely Wilkington, New Jersey. We are building brand new four bedroom, two bathroom homes that are almost 1,400 square feet on a quarter acre lot with all the fixings and a fridge and a dishwasher Everything that made a 1950s home the top of the line at that period of time. Now, the total cost for this particular house, four bedroom, two full bath, 1,372 square feet on a quarter acre lot, was $11,990. So right at $12,000 for this house. Now, of course, this is 1958 money, but a $12,000 house that's this size, this is a full-size house, is pretty awesome. I mean, that sounds like a great deal. 
And as it turns out, it really was an exceptional deal. Now, we have to go ahead and account for inflation here because, as we know and are experiencing today, inflation is a real thing. And, of course, we're experiencing it in some of the highest rates, um, especially in recent history. It's not the highest rate ever in our country, not quite by a long shot, but it's the highest we've dealt with in a while. And especially in this post-COVID world where things are so topsy-turvy to begin with, it's definitely throwing a lot of things out of whack once again. But once you take into account the dollar value of a dollar nineteen fifty-eight to today, the value of that house is one hundred and twenty-three thousand one hundred thirty-nine dollars and thirty-seven cents. So that's going to be a payment right at little less than $900 a month in New Jersey once everything is accounted for. And by the way, the payment for the house in 1958 was right at 87 bucks a month. I mean, I think all of us would want to get an $87 a month mortgage payment. That would be pretty dang sweet. But I mean, especially these days, sub 1000, that's absolutely awesome. So we should expect then that this house is on the market and listed these days for right around $123,000. Is this house listed for $123,000 today? Not by a long shot. This house was not just subject to regular inflationary forces. Now, of course... Housing prices are a factor when it comes to the overall inflation indicators. But as we've seen, house prices have significantly outpaced the average total rate of inflation. This house is presently listed, literally right now, at $285,000. So over twice the amount of normal inflation, almost two and a half times that rate of normal inflation. So when we look at a couple of these numbers, this is where it starts to get really interesting because all we have at this point is that, hey, it's a a bit more expensive, but are there some mitigating factors here that we might want to consider? And that's, of course, a relevant discussion. So let's go ahead and address that now. Right off the bat, we're looking at a $12,000 house in 1958, which is actually actually a little bit more expensive than the average house price in 1958, which, which was right at $10,450. So less than $11,000 was the average price for a house built in 1958. Your average family income at this time was right at $5,100. So once you do the math here, you're going to take that house price and divide it by the average income to get the fact that the house price is two times the average family income. So a 2x cap here, we're looking at for the valuation of this property. So if you had no other expenses and you saved up all of your money, no taxes at all, you would be able to pay off that house in just over two years. Full ownership, no more mortgage, you're clear. 
And we don't need to address why that's not necessarily the best idea now, because we've talked about that many, many times. But that's what you would have been able to do. But with the increased housing cost for many, many different reasons, things have radically changed for a lot of home buyers. And because home ownership is the bedrock and foundation of the middle class's wealth, any threat to home ownership has a drastic effect on the stability of the financial middle class. It has the worst effect. What we're looking at these days is that in 2021, last year, the average household income was right at 70784 And let me reemphasize this real quick. Household income, 1958, was 5100 That's total. That includes the husband and the wife. But we do need to acknowledge that at this point, most of the time in most families, only the man worked. So this was a single-income household but that's the total income counted. Today, with all incomes counted and most women are working, it's 70,784. Last year, the average house price in the country topped out at 300,000 346,900. 346,900. You have to take this amount and divide it by your average household income to get your multiplier, how many years it would take for the modern family with average household income to pay off what has now become the average house. They're going to have to pay for almost five whole years, 4.9 times to be specific. Now, the real kicker here is that you take that multiplier by the previous multiplier and you find out that the modern middle class has 2.4 times more difficulty financially purchasing a house than the middle class did in 1958. 2.4 times. Because the amount of years it takes to pay off a house with the average income is 2.4 times. Once we get back, we'll go over a couple more details about the housing situation in the U.S. and the stock market. Stay tuned to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. We'll be right back. If you have money in an IRA, 401k, or other retirement account, you can use it to invest passively in real estate without tax or penalty. Our average rate of return is three times that of the stock market and mutual funds with much less volatility. If you have over $70,000, you can start passive investing today. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. In case you want to call in and chat about this housing situation, all you got to do is pick up the phone and dial 281-558-5738. That's 281-558-5738. Or you can send me an email, 
That's Trevor at TotalWealthAcademy.com. Trevor at TotalWealthAcademy.com. And if you want the free book, Richest Man in Babylon, I'll send you the PDF. You just have to send me an email with radio show or book in the subject line to Trevor at TotalWealthAcademy.com. So we really just wrapped up this housing situation analysis. Of course, there are tons of details that we could go over. There's lots of information to look at. But I really want to break it down as clearly as possible. With the housing price that we looked at of this $11,990 house, which was a little bit more expensive than the average price in 1958, you go up to the current average price, median price to be specific, of $346,900. So almost halfway between three hundred and four hundred thousand. I don't know how long it's going to be until that median price is four hundred thousand for an average house in the United States of America. But with the income levels in 1958, it was two times, just over two times the yearly income to buy a house. Nowadays, it's 4.9 times. So almost five, almost five times the yearly income of the median price. So that means it's literally 2.4 times harder for somebody to purchase a house in the U.S. And when I say harder, let's just be specific and say financially difficult. You've got to be 2.4 times more financially drawn into purchasing a house in 2022 than in 1958. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You can still do it, but because you've got more of a commitment into the house itself, most people have less financial opportunity outside of the individual house. You have to make sure that you're not falling into this trap by getting a house that you cannot afford. By getting a house that hits right at that five times your at your income. I mean, really, once you look at the mortgage calculators and see exactly what's going to be coming out of your pocket each month, the reasonable person is going to want to sit at somewhere between two and a half to three times their gross annual income, their total before taxes two and a half to three times. And yes, I know that's pretty dang radical of me to say because it's very, very difficult. But I think you have to be the person that makes that kind of decision rather than the other kind of decision to get in a better financial position. Don't trap yourself by getting into a house that you really cannot afford. Don't get suckered in to the mainstream American culture right now that says get the most house you can afford. Get what you can barely afford, not what you can fully afford. Not if something changes, you got sudden more expenses, and then all of a sudden you're going to be broke in your 5,000-square-foot house in Cinco Ranch or Memorial or Clear Lake or the Woodlands or wherever. Make a smart financial decision when it comes to your individual home. 
Let's talk about the stock market now with the weekly update with what the stock market is doing. And as always, it's going up or it's going down. In case you don't understand how that works, let me say it again. The stock market is always going up or it's going down. And you're going to see bumps on the road during that process. It's very, very difficult for there to be a sustained plateau in the American stock market, even if it's a bumpy up and down, up and down a little bit. It's very much up or down. So we've seen over the past week, after literally the worst week that I've ever seen since reporting, we see a small little uptick. The Dow Jones is at negative 16% flat since January 1st, year to date. I'm always doing year to date just to make it as clear as crystal in terms of what's happening to your money in these stock markets since the year began. S&P 500 is sitting at negative 20.96%, and NASDAQ is still the biggest loser, as I always say, at negative 31.69%. Can you imagine being invested in the NASDAQ stocks and losing over 30% of your stock market value for nothing? For not, you can't do anything about it unless you pull that money out. But like most people, you're going to keep it in because you do at least understand a little bit how the stock market works and hopefully it will go up. Most of the times it does. But that's a very stressful position to put yourself in. That's one of the biggest costs, in my opinion, of investing in stocks is the stress connected to dealing with it. When you don't have any control whatsoever of whether it goes up or down, and you just kind of have to ride the waves of the up and down. And especially, though, if you're gambling on retiring off the stock market portfolio, like a 401k or IRA, you're gambling that you retire when the stock market is up. So you have a high balance to take out. And I guess still also hope that you die before you run out of money, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because... Most people live 15 to 20 years in retirement. And even with this extended high-ish market for the past 14 years, that basically means you're going to experience one or two recessions during your retirement. So that kind of stinks whenever you see the money that you're literally surviving on randomly get cut 20, 30, 40% during a down market, and you just have to deal with it. And hope that at that time, you don't end up running out of money either. I really, really hope that that's not your grand strategy. I really, really hope that that's not the best that you got. To just rely on a retirement account in the stock market to take care of you in retirement. I really hope you've got something better than that planned for yourself and planned to leave behind for your kids when you are gone. Because if you're planning to just have a big fat zero in your bank account whenever you pass away, I think you're a bit of a jackass. I don't think that's a very good way 
to treat your kids. And I don't think it's a very good way to provide for them to stay in the middle class or transition to the upper class because you kind of screwed them over a little bit with that one. Don't make that your retirement and legacy plan to send them off with a big fat zero. Now, to get outside of the stock market, I mean, what does it really all boil down to? It's just a means to an end, ultimately, when it comes to real estate. I don't particularly like real estate. My dad doesn't particularly like real estate. I like making beer. I like playing guitar. I like playing video games. I like speaking. I like being on the radio. Going through deals, looking at them, analyzing them, going to title, going to get loans. That does not make me excited. That stuff is boring. But it is highly effective. And there are some freaks of nature out there that literally love it to death. And there's a big reason why we cultivate them here at TWA and make sure that you get to talk to them because they've got a lot of good advice that either Steve and I can't really give you in terms of having that outlook with real estate. We will be right back to the final segment of the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Stay tuned. joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And this is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that's going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars in the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. All right, everybody, final segment of today's show, Total Wealth Academy Radio Show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. I want to give everybody some good news because apparently the IRS is going to have some mercy on our souls this year and is going to be giving us a tax break for the year 2022. And what they're going to do is when you file your taxes, you're going to notice that the deduction has been raised. And let me check out this. You're looking at a deduction for married couples is now twenty seven thousand seven hundred. For single individuals, it's thirteen thousand eight hundred and fifty, which is up nine hundred dollars from last year. And the married one is up eighteen hundred from last year. For heads of households, it's up to twenty thousand eight hundred, which is up one thousand four hundred. So the deductions are higher, so that's a good thing. And even better, the tax brackets are going to be adjusted, so you'll probably end up saving a significant portion of taxes just because if your income has not increased, stayed about the same, you're going to see a reduction in taxes. So that's pretty good news. And of course, hopefully if your income went up, you're probably going to see a better tax rate than you would have last year if you had the same income increase. So that's pretty good news from the IRS. This is an article on MSN.com. Tax season, not exactly close, but 
I think they're also going to determine in the next couple of months if they're going to make it to where you can completely do it all by yourself. And that's going to kind of nuke the tax companies that let you file through them. You know, you can, of course, do it by yourself, but it's just basically the way that it's been done so far. They have such a heavy lobbying force that a lot of people find it very difficult to do their own taxes, especially with the way that the tax system is designed. It seems to be prohibitively difficult for a lot of folks, so they don't bother doing it. And then they go to some pony like TurboTax, spend 50, 100 bucks or more to do the taxes through that system. And I've done it once before. And then after I was done, I was like, well, seems like I can do this myself. Or if it really comes down to it, I can get a professional. But I definitely recommend you can probably do your dang taxes. It's becoming easier and easier year over year, but entirely up to you. Now, to wrap up our show today, I do want to invite everybody out to the next Spotlight event that is on November 10th. That is, of course, the biggest event of the month. We just had our expo this month, so we didn't have the regular Spotlight. So next month is regular Spotlight on November 10th. So everybody used to that. That is going to be on November 10th. We're going to have a single-family speaker, multi-family speaker, and probably two multi-family speakers this time around. Our class is tomorrow at 6.30 p.m., the free sample class if you want to learn about what we do. If you've been intrigued by some of the things that I've talked about today and you want to learn about real estate or you want to learn about transitioning from the middle class to the upper class using real estate, this class is available tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. at our office or online. All you have to do is go to TotalWealthAcademy.com forward slash class to join up, attend the class, and if it seems like something beneficial to you, you do have the opportunity to join us as a member. Let's look at a couple things here that we really like to talk about a lot here at Total Wealth Academy, and that is avoiding the government dependence. And I feel like sometimes there's a little bit of a strong message associated with that idea that's connected to a whole lot of messages that aren't necessarily completely approved by the mainstream culture that genuinely believes not to accept government handouts. I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think it's a little more nuanced. And above all, I don't think we have to follow every single party platform line just because we vote Democrat or we vote Republican or we vote Libertarian or we vote Independent. That's not something that I believe in. But one of the most important things that we're doing here is getting off of the government's grain bill, off the grain dole of the government. During World War II we saw the passage of several very, very interesting pieces of legislation. And one of the biggest ones was Social Security. 
Now, Social Security, of course, is designed to be a social saving grace, a social saving network. So, I mean, what's a better way to say it? If you literally screw up financially throughout your entire life and you get to retirement and you have no money, the Social Security is going to let you have at least a lower class lifestyle. Your bills are at least going to be paid. And then with Medicare and Medicaid as well, you've got your medical expenses covered because you're an old person now. You've got higher medical expenses. People never seem to acknowledge this part or face it realistically. But your expenses as you get older are only going to get higher. You know, there could be years and years and years and years and years and decades of where you have the same expenses And then our bodies, as they naturally start to get older and start to break down, they start to need more attention, more medical advice, more more surgeries, more medicine, all sorts of different things. Our expenses get higher. So we have to make sure that we're not going to just be dependent on the absolute base level of medical quality. We don't want to be dependent on the government in our retirement. Now, income taxes, they were also enhanced during World War II. And I believe the first income tax, that was actually enacted during the Civil War. Yeah. So, wars are very interesting phenomenon, aren't they? Because they bring about a lot of change. And I'd say one of the biggest things they change are things that we wouldn't have approved being changed without the war being there at all. Because when this country started and we were protesting against taxes of sugar, coffee, tea, and of course the Boston Tea Party, I think everybody remembers that from school, where they toss all the tea into the harbor off the British ship because they did not even want it anymore. That's how mad they were at the British for taxing the tea. They wanted them, they still wanted it, I should say, but they didn't want those British merchants to get the profit from it, the British government to get the profit from it, because that's who was levying those taxes. But of course, nowadays, you're taxed on your income. Doesn't matter what you do, you pay tax automatically. You own a house, tax. You buy gas, tax. Shop, tax. Everything taxed. And one fun activity I did two years ago at this point was see what my total tax rate was once everything was accounted for. And it ended up being, if I remember correctly, right at 25%. I think it was like 27% total once everything was accounted for. Income tax, home tax, and all of the discretionary spending tax I get during the year, all of that added up to right at that 25%. So, I mean, that is that is a hefty chunk of your income. I mean, if it really comes down to it, I am the person that's not a fan of taxes because I think that once you start pushing past 10% total, that's starting to get pretty ridiculous. So we're 
going to be okay with over 90 with less than 90% of our income a year I mean at least let me have 90% of my income before it goes off into whatever place it goes or whatever it's really doing cuz it's not being used in the most effective way for sure As Milton Friedman says, the government's solution to a problem is usually as bad as the problem itself because the government doesn't have competition. When we talk about using the capitalist system and we've got competitors in the market, they've always got incentive to do the best possible job or else they go out of business. But government itself doesn't. The parties, okay, sure, they're going to do everything they can to get elected and compete against each other on a couple ideological points. But the government itself doesn't have a competitor. There really isn't a whole lot of incentive for the government to get the best solution for you. So don't expect them to turn around and give you and gift you the best financial position either. Work on becoming interdependent and independent so you don't become dependent on the government. This has been the Total Wealth Academy radio show, everybody. I'm your host, Trevor Davis, and I will see y'all next Wednesday. Y'all have a great week. You've been listening to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Please remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investing advice. Always get a professional opinion before making any investment decisions. To find out more about coaching and consulting at Total Wealth Academy, visit TotalWealthAcademy.com and attend one of our free sample classes on real estate investing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.